This is Emily. And this is Maddie. And this is Spill the Mead. Spill the Spooky Mead. Spooky. <laughs> Bitch, the pot, the tea is hot. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I didn't know what I was going to say, so I was like, yeah, it is. Um, this one is spooky as shit. Um, obviously, we were going to do Poe. Um, people suggested Poe. You didn't have to. We were going to do Poe. But uh, it's going to be like such a two-parter, at least. Like a two- or three-parter like on his life. And oh, okay, yeah. I just like did not have time because again, right if you here. listen to the episode before this, we were coming on a on a recording fest right after Renfair, and so um, this is not going to be a biography on Poe. This is going to be d- d- fun. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get excited about it. Hell yeah. Um, I'm always excited about Poe. I also love that I'm looking at him right now because Maddie has a sticker of him on her water bottle. <laughs> yeah. There um, he is. My microphone is stash. also resting on his book um, because I love Poe. Where? This one Where? right here. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a beautiful Poe book. It is a beautiful book, isn't it? I like it. I love it so much. And um, this one is exciting, like I said, because you know... Poe, you've heard of him, Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. You know that he is a horror writer who writes these wild stories, wild horror stories. But did you know a lot of them are true stories? No. Yeah. That is what, what we call a hook, ladies what? and gentlemen. Isn't that crazy? I know you said it in like a potentially cheesy way, but I am like, I'm hooked. It is. They, yeah, they are? Right? Okay, because they're right. weird. Yep. And there, a lot of them are based on true things, but I just picked a few of my favorites today so we can go over like just a quick, just on the off chance that, you know, someone's going to be like, wait, no, don't tell me the entire story of the fall of the House of Usher because I want you guys to do an episode on that. So I'm just going to do a okay. blip of the story and then I'm going to tell you the true thing it was inspired by. Ooh, I love that. Okay, For cool. like eight stories. Ooh, hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, again. This, this is going to put to test how many Poe stories I know. Right? Because I'm like, yeah. do I just know the the Raven one, like the Evermore, oh Evermore. God. Yeah, Raven one? is so so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not gonna do any of his poems this time. Oh, okay. We're just gonna do like the the short stories. Gotcha, again, gotcha, I gotcha. do a whole a whole thing on the Raven. And if someone wants to hear that, like Lady of Shalott style, like stanza by stanza of the Raven, like would please. love that. Oh my God, I love Edgar Allan Poe so much. I love his poetry. I have part of Annabelle Lee like tattooed on my body <laughs> right now. I love him, but do you really? Uh, yeah, I do. Like right under, like on my left rib, it says, "But we loved with a love that was more than love." It's my favorite line of my favorite poem. How the Lee. fuck did I not know this about you? I don't know. Yeah, we've changed in front of each other a thousand times. A bajillion times. Yeah, and I, I've never knew that. <laughs> huh. I'll be sure to to point it out next yeah. time. Bonnie <laughs> will be sure to flash <laughs> right, me after yeah, this. Actually, yeah, no, right okay, here. I want to see it. It's right here. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's yeah. beautiful. I love but it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, anyways, 
Um, I love Poe. Yeah. And um, this is a kind of spooky period. He wasn't, I thought it was weird because I was looking at a list of like the most popular Victorian writers out there and he's not listed. Huh? I, right? But I had to look into it. The, the Victorian reign was technically like 1837 to 1901 when Queen Victoria was reigning. Oh, I guess that's fair. Yeah. And he wasn't <laughs> born until like 1809. Oh, okay. And so, uh, fine. All right. You know? Fine. Yeah, and Fine. yeah, and then he died in 1849, and her reign started in like 1837. So he, you know, oh, he, he didn't have like a lot of time. The, 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 the very yeah like okay. the very beginning of the victoria reign he was like on his way out so oh yeah the okay, other writers yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know lived through that so because mm-hmm. he was really up there but um yeah let's uh let's get into it we'll start with some very obvious ones these first few i'm just gonna fly through okay um for obvious reasons so okay. the first <laughs> short story we're gonna talk about is called the premature burial and it's about you get a feeling it. <laughs> a premature burial. I, uh, yeah. I hate that though. Oh yeah. I don't love that. Yeah. Um it was it was one of those things. So the main character expresses a concern about being buried alive, which was a pretty common fear back in this period. So Poe took advantage of this public interest, right? Fair I mean yeah. He's a man of industry. I don't know. So here's what's going on in this story. Okay. Um, it's a first-person unnamed narrator. That's a ongoing theme with Poe. Okay. Um, this narrator struggles with a condition where he just randomly falls into a death-like trance, which obviously leads to his fear of being buried alive. Because what you don't want to have when people are getting buried alive all over the place is that unnamed condition <laughs> that, no kidding yeah. my god this is when you just go get your cricket out and you're gonna make yourself a little t-shirt yeah. that says i'm not dead i have a condition yeah thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> please leave me be yes um don't bury me alive this disease that he has this like death-like trance gets progressively worse over time and he keeps becoming more obsessed with the idea that people are going to mistake him for being dead, right? Like, yeah. Why, Does he not, like, why would have you a, not? A wife that he could say, like, hey, babe. It doesn't make sound like sure it. nobody buries me alive. <laughs> no. I, I would imagine, you know, the death like trance is probably a turnoff for, for I a guess lot that's of people. Fair enough. <laughs> but, but he does, like, consult his friends and be like, hey, just make sure that people aren't going to bury me, like, oh, prematurely, okay. okay? Yeah, he's taking the necessary steps here. Yeah, he takes it really far. He, like, doesn't leave his home. And he, like, builds this super elaborate tomb with all this equipment so he can, like, signal for help in case he should, like, be buried alive, you know? So, Poe being Poe, this narrator wakes up in this pitch darkness in this (gasps) confined area, right? No. And, you know... It's looking a lot like he's buried alive because that's where this whole story is going, yeah. right? So he's cry- he cries out, like yelling for help, and he's hushed immediately. So he realizes that he's not buried alive at all. He's just in the birth of a small boat. And what? this whole event just shocks him out of his obsession with death. And so these episodes stop entirely, leading him to believe that they were just a symptom of his phobia rather than an actual medical condition. The end. What? (laughs) Yeah. So there's a synopsis of that short story. And so, 
Yeah. Yep. Shooketh. Just rubbing her temples. Like, <laughs> pretty much. Understand. Obviously, okay. the real story that was going on here, yeah. people in this era had to worry about being buried alive a lot. There were hundreds of cases reported in which doctors accidentally pronounced people dead to the point where people, I'm sure, you know, everyone's, this is a pretty popular Halloween topic, but the bells on the coffins yes. and yeah, all of that, all these okay, yeah. patented devices to help people like breathe, like these straw-like contractions. Right. Yeah. Um, just in case. Um, a little bit later in the Victorian era, there would be a society for the prevention of people being buried alive started part of that society yeah like the whole vampire thing came from the being buried alive thing that's where like wakes come from like um people would yeah like you know now awake is you know like when someone dies you come to the wake pay your respects but back then um well there's a lot of theories on where wake comes from because wake and watch kind of meant the same thing in latin blah 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 but it's kind of, it's believed that you know awake people would kind of keep a dead body in the room and take turns watching it seeing if it would wake See if it's gonna wake yeah, yeah. so you know that so one weird that's our first okay. story real cut and dry i just want to say though um i do want to say that I love that because that was not where I thought that was going. What a twist. He has some of those. A he, twist from the ages. He has some where it's like, oh, wait, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, no, I I love that. Like, I was shocked <laughs> by it. I love it. I know. That because, was a twist. Because the whole time you're reading it, you're like, oh, so oh, the guy's going to get, get buried, buried alive. alive. Yeah. Like, obviously it's yeah. going to happen. And Poe's like, ha, ha, middle finger to the face. Yeah. It's a bow, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who knew? What the fuck? Okay, love it. Oh. All right, skimming right along to one of his more popular uh, stories, The Telltale Heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, an unnamed narrator, is the whole story. This is one of my favorite stories of his. The whole story, he's trying to convince the reader that he is like totally sane and fine. Oh, I love that. Yeah, like and essentially the whole thing opens up with like, just so you know, I'm not fucking crazy. And you're like, nah, okay, well, we'll see. And so he's he's just starting off by telling you, no, I'm totally fine. I'm totally sane. And then he starts describing this murder that he committed. What? Yeah. So <laughs> the victim of this murder was this old man, an old man that the narrator knew and liked. But... He had what the narrator called this filmy, pale blue vulture eye. And the narrator hates this fucking eye so motherfucking it much. It sounds like the guy just got, like, cataracts or he's, yeah, like, blind, like in, blind in an eye. or yeah, something. I don't know. can't fucking help it. Oh, God. The narrator can't help it either. Like, his hatred over this guy's eye. He's like, I've got to kill you. I have to do it. Like, I cannot look at your goddamn eye for one more second. You've got to die. But I'm totally fine and I'm totally sane. Like, just so you know. Um, So the narrator is telling you the super careful calculation of this murder, like how he's going to do it, complete with how he's going to dismember the body in the bathtub. Then he's going to, yeah, he's going to hide it in the floorboards after he dismembers it. He's got a plan. He's totally fine, though. Don't worry. So sane. Fucking Heisenberg. Okay. (laughs) So ultimately, also, while the story is going on, the narrator is hearing this thumping sound that he's is figuring out it's coming from underneath the floorboards and it's the guy's heart and it's still beating, but he's fine and he's sane and it's like this whole 
thing, this whole twisted <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's ah. very psychological thriller. I love Poe oh. so much. So are you ready for the true story that that's based oh, on? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean... Am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go for it. You're ready. Sure. So in 1840, the trial of James Wood uh, for the murder of his daughter was taking place. Oh. Yeah. Um, Wood ended up pleading that he was not guilty oh. by reason of insanity, which back then okay. was a fairly newer concept. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So now the jury is essentially deciding whether or not this guy's crazy, not whether he's guilty or not, just whether he's right. insane or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so a reporter covering that trial said that although Woods's calm demeanor might lead some people to believe him, quote, a premeditated and cold-blooded assassin rather than a madman, he believes, the narrator believes that his calmness is merely this cunning of a maniac and a cutting which baffles that of the wisest man's sound of mind, the amazing self-possession with with which at times he assumes the demeanor and preserves the appearance of perfect sanity. Pretty much saying that, mm, no, like you might think that he's like sitting there, you know, looking like that because he's like this cold-blooded killer. But he's saying, the reporter's saying, no, it's worse than that. This is like a cunning maniac. Like you, like if you are right in the head, you're not even going to understand this guy. Like oh. he has this like self-possession. He can like assume whatever demeanor he wants but he can like seem sane when he wants but he's crazy and unhinged at the end of it so this reporter's putting this out mm-hmm. and so the jury rules in woods's favor essentially wow. that he's insane and sends him to an asylum that reporter was none other than Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, fuck! Yeah. Oh, and so, shit! And then a few years later, he writes The Telltale Heart, which was, you know, this guy who committed this murder. But, like, was he crazy? No, I'm not crazy. You know, like, so that's oh. kind of what sparked the whole story. Oh. Yeah. Another quick one. This is our last little, little quick one here. Okay. So I had three quickies. And so good for you this last one <laughs> you know hey. we get it where we can um this is another one of those really straightforward like if this was a like fresh cup reddit emily would not read the title um, okay yeah even though the title does give it away but not really okay um, so it's called some words with a mummy okay yep so in post story the narrator unnamed is woken up in the middle of the night by one of his doctor friends to come to this mummy and wrapping party so this was a thing back then it was a thing back then oh my gosh are you gonna get into that i'm gonna get into that oh my god i i know very little about this but it's very interesting i know i even wrote like in the notes at one point i'm like i'm not gonna get too much into it because it could be an episode oh it could it's so fucked it's It's so terrible disrespectful and fucked yeah oh it's fucked 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 fucked, fucked. like okay disgusting but anyways this unnamed narrator narrator is awoken by his doctor friend to come to this mummy and rapping party and he's like well i mean shit yeah I I guess you gotta so he gets to this party they eat dinner and drink a whole bunch and then they pull out this sarcophagus and just start cutting into it and yep they get all the way in there and they pull out the body to examine it and then find it to be just an exceptionally good condition fucked it's so fucked um so then the doctor lays out all of these instruments to dissect this mummy and then the men as one would do suggest no you know what we should do is we should like use some electricity on this mummy 
Like, that's what we should do just to, like, see what happens. So they do. And the amount of electricity that they use causes the mummy to awaken. And he wakes up. (laughs) And he wakes up and he starts just bitching at him for their abuse. He's like, what the fuck? You cut into all my shit. You like messed me up. Like, look at me. You did a whole hack job. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Wow. I love that for the mummy. Like, I don't love that that happened to the mummy, but I love that the mummy gets to tell them off. He gets gets his chance. Yeah. So the men are like, oh shit, like, we're so sorry. They're like trying to explain to him why, like, they're dissecting mummies. There's no good reason. Oh no. They're like, no, but like scientific importance (laughs) and stuff. Nah, you guys are just being assholes. Yeah. Well, oddly enough, the mummy disagrees with you, Emily. Mm -hmm. I would happen to agree with the mummy here in this situation. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Listen, the mummy disagrees with you, Emily. Me? Yeah. And the mummy's what? like, yeah, the mummy's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, that That makes sense. Good call. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry to break your heart there. I almost didn't say it, but no, see, someone was okay. going to be like, wait, no, I read the story and no, the mummy was like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. No, okay. See, it's another twist, which is great. I love it on that aspect. I hate it because like people at this time period are going to read that and you're going to be like, see, mummy unwrapping parties are awesome. We can, we should keep doing it. But then I also, at the same time, still love it because like the mummy's cool with it. So at least the mummy's dying happy, even though this... Guys, not real, but you know, I can. Okay. I can. Lots re- of feelings. I can essentially like. I can essentially guarantee that you probably don't know where this story is oh, going. I don't. I, yeah. I couldn't even guess. No. No. Yeah. No. 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 So like the mummy is like okay, and so they end up giving him the mummy some clothes and stuff, you know. Good. And then they all sit down and they're having like drinks and cigars with this mummy, <laughs> as the, the if you if you remember the title of the story, some words with a mummy. Uh-huh. They are indeed now having those words with with this mummy that they have electrocuted back to life yeah um so they're sitting down and like the mummy is explaining how he became to be a mummy and the you know ancient egyptians have like a way longer lifespan than modern men like they live about a thousand years we're like what you know i mean god what is this like the 1800s they're living to like 50 (laughs) and so you know mummy's not impressed um and then the mummy's like yeah we're also like able to be embalmed and this process is you know it stops all of the bodily functions and allows them to sleep through hundreds of years only to rise and go on with their lives centuries later like whenever whenever they want whenever a little bit of electricity is given to us apparently yep and then Mm -hmm. i don't know i zappy zap i guess so and so The mummy does take this time to take a little break, Sipu, and, like, yell at them again for, like, their ignorance of Egyptian history. Like, you don't even fucking know that we live to be a thousand years old, you motherfucking idiots. I deserve to be yelled at as well. I did not know that. It did the same. And so then one of them, one of the men, you know, pipes up and he's like, hey, like, mummy, you're over 5,000 years old. Do you know anything about how the universe was created? Like, it was it was only like ten thousand years ago. Oh yeah, naturally. so you've yeah. got to know something. Yeah. And the mummy responds that no one during his time even entertained the fantasy that the universe was ever created. It just always always existed. It's just always been. And so, long story short, like they go back and forth with this mummy. Long story short, the narrator ends up going back home and just like going back to bed <laughs> or like dreams that he does. So there's like a little thing implied in there that he dreams that he goes home and goes back to bed. 
But then when he wakes up the following morning, or doesn't, I don't know, um, he decides, the narrator decides that he's unhappy with his life and the time that he's living in, and he's just going to go get embalmed for a couple hundred years. The end. (laughs) That's some Black Mirror shit right there. (laughs) I know. So, as we kind of already pointed out, the truth behind this story is mummy and wrapping parties were a fucking thing. And it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, this is disgusting. It sounds interesting, and it is to a degree. But when you really break it down, it is... It can be both interesting and disgusting at the same time. It's wretched. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a The amount of history that was lost. Yeah. And, like, this is human remains. Yeah, the feeling that the burning of... The library at Alexandria, like it's the same kind of feeling. Oh my gosh, the all the bodies that were taken during the French Revolution, Mm -hmm. like it's the same feeling that I get. I'm like, oh, that's and it's just like that's like a human. Like you want to get haunted? That's how you get haunted. Is shit. Like I don't care if you believe in ghosts or what. You don't like no. Fuck with that, man. Yeah. I don't believe in ghosts, but you think I'm gonna like risk it? No. no. I'm also like, oh God, I don't know. I don't know what this is called. Um, but this is just what I think. I like so obviously I don't myself believe in like Egyptian you know, Egyptian mythology or like right. religion They're or anything. And, but yeah. the fact that like they did and they had their own way to like embalm themselves Has and take out all of the organs. Like, yeah, the the fact that they felt that way i'm still not gonna fuck with it you know yeah. like it's disgusting and it got okay. and you know what anyone could be fucking right so i'm not gonna fuck with anyone exactly shit. like yeah, you I'm just, just i'm gonna let you be you should let let the dead be yeah um but yeah this whole just craze this obsession with egypt's history and culture at this time was called egyptomania um yeah it was like a whole thing back back in this time so egypt saw this huge boom in tourism with these wealthy europeans traveling there and wanting a mummy as a souvenir i hate it and it was this whole thing like oh yeah if you're like coming if you're well off and coming back from egypt you're gonna have a mummy in one hand and a crocodile in the other like you're just this is what people are are doing there ew yeah egyptians wanting to make a profit from this would end up shipping in mummies from like less popular places in Egypt because it sounds like I thought this too like how you coming up with like all of these mummies right but like it's not as difficult as it would sound because so many Egyptians not just royalty or wealthy all of them practiced mummification for like 2,000 years the amount of history yeah. that was lost. I, it's disgusting. Just for these assholes to have a part. I cannot. And the desecration of and these, like, And it's so race. disrespectful. Yeah. No, I'm like... I don't care if you believe in their shit or not. Like, you don't no, do that. No. No, so many. Is. There's so many reasons why it's fucked. It's completely foul. Yeah. Like, I can't. Um... But anyway, so yeah, they would come back and these parties would take place soon after the travelers returned to Egypt. And like I found an example of like uh, of an invitation that that it would say. Okay. So this particular one um, said, mummy. Uh, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> mummy. mummy? <laughs> it literally doesn't even start with mummy. <laughs> Mummy's on the brain. Woo! Okay. Um, This particular invitation said, quote, 
Lord Londosborough at home, colon, a mummy, there it is, <laughs> from Thebes to be unrolled at half past two. Join us for dinner and refreshments. Like, it's a whole fucking thing. It's disgusting. Like, come over and join us for this thing while we get drunk and, like, desecrate if, this human yeah, remains. If, I can't. If you have the money to, like, go to Egypt, come back with a mummy, desecrate their remains yeah. as a party, as, like, a little, like, bit at your party. Yeah. You have too much fucking money. Yeah. And this, these were, like, the parties. Like, this was, like, oh, my God, these were, like, the places to be. Sometimes they'd do it in public places. Like, sometimes they'd be private places. Like, they were just unwrapping mummies all over the place. The more we talk about it, the more <laughs> icky. and it, Like, it already yeah. felt icky, but I just feel ickier and ickier about it. Like, well, and if ugh. you, and if you think about it like i mean this smells it's unsanitary you know but they were so drunk and everything like that the smell didn't really get to them i don't think there's a single aspect of this that i like no, no it's awful. besides the fact that it's just interesting yeah right and that's yeah that's all that's all we're gonna say because again that could be an entire episode yeah i um, think it should be and it was obviously put to an end because it's you know not cool to do like totally <laughs> not chill um but yeah that could be a whole episode if you want to hear it let us know at spill the meat at everything at everything on everything yep um mm-hmm. instagram facebook tiktok um and spill the meat at gmail that's our email fucking mm-hmm. hit us up it's fucking everything um okay so those were those were my three quickies okay these ones are really detailed Okay, so okay, so okay. this was fun. Okay, all right. So the next story is called Berenice. And this one was Poe's first horror story, so I had Ooh. to mention it. So an unnamed narrator grows up in this large, gloomy mansion with his cousin, Berenice. And this narrator, he's very studious, you know, kind of quiet. He suffers from a type of obsessive disorder that makes him, like, really fixate on objects. Okay. Um, he doesn't name the disorder. He just says right, he gets yeah. really fixated on things. Um, so, Berenice was beautiful in her whole life. You know, she's just a beautiful girl. But all of a sudden, she started suffering from an unspecified illness. That's weird as fuck. And she's pretty much just, like, decomposing and having, like, these periods of like being in a catonic state, you know? Um, and the narrator refers to these as a trance, but she's literally like decomposing, like her flesh is falling off and she like gets caught up like in these catatonic states every every once in a while. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. And they're going to get married. So uh, they're going to the chapel. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one <laughs> afternoon, the narrator sees Berenice and she's sitting in the library just hanging out she's not in a in a trance and she smiles and he like gets this glimpse of her teeth and like focuses on them and he starts this like crazy obsession with her teeth like it just like gets him and so for days he's like drifting in and out of awareness just thinking about her teeth like he like imagines himself holding them and like turning them over and like looking at them from all angles and like just holding them and rolling them around in his hands like he's stuck on this so as she's deteriorating he's going more crazy and it's just a fucking shit show in in this house their cousins i don't fucking know and so eventually a servant tells the narrator that berenice has died 
like she she's gone she's gonna be buried i mean we had to see that one coming i mean yeah you can't you know you can't deteriorate compose without yeah. actually dying <laughs> yeah and so this really shakes him up you know he really loved her teeth if nothing else and so he's like he kind of goes into this weird trance and he's like it was a shock it was a lot i don't remember a ton about the burial like i was in this shock of terror after like right after that it was all this big blur can you at least have her teeth now <laughs> No, it's, you know, you got a barrier with the teeth, I guess. Good. Okay, I'm <laughs> glad. Yeah. It, from what I remember, because I didn't reread these stories, I just, like, refreshed myself. And yeah. so I could be wrong on this, because obviously these are on this book, and I yeah. read it. But um, I almost think that he, he like, because he didn't remember the burial. So it happened, like, fast kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I don't think he even had a chance if okay, he wanted okay. to. Yeah. Um, But... He, like, kind of comes back into it, you know, because he goes in and out of awarenesses. Right. Like, tripping out on her teeth. So, the next time he comes to, he hears this shriek. That's what, like, brings him out of it. And so, he has this weird, overwhelming sense that, like, he did something. And so, he starts kind of looking around and he, like, looks on the table beside him. And there's this little, um, there's a lamp. There's um, the family physician, like, a little box that he had. And there's a book open to a passage about returning to a loved one's grave so he's thinking about this and the servant who screamed comes bursting into the room saying that the servants have all been woken by this wild cry this scream in the night and so the servants went out and followed that sound to Mm -hmm. baradice's grave where they see that the grave has been violated and this little this little shrouded disfigured body was laying next to the grave still alive like writhing around alive what the fuck it was berenice she's still alive somehow so the servant points out that the narrator is all covered in blood and mud and there's this like shovel type thing in the corner and there's like nail marks all up his arm and so the narrator panics and he like looks around and he opens the box and finds quote a set of 32 small white and ivory looking substances the end what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, contemporary readers were, like, fucking horrified by this. Yeah? I mean, which is odd, because, like, they're going to mummy on wrapping parties. But for yeah. whatever reason, like, the way that this story was written. Th- this is, like, one of, one of like, his lesser known ones, but it's a fucking wild one. I was getting, like, the creeps yeah, it's, halfway it's, through this. It's, I think it's one of his better ones. But, um... Yeah, so, like, readers were complaining to the editor of The Messenger where this was first published. And so Poe, like, ended up publishing this, like, self-centered, censored, sorry, self-censored version of it. But later on, he kept being like, I don't care, man. Like, a story should be judged by how many copies it sells, not how people (laughs) feel about it. And Well, damn. And I I must say that Poe's a Capricorn, and that's the most Capricorn (gasps) statement I've ever heard in my life. Wow, that really. Is. <laughs> like, oh, did that did that scare you? It sold a lot of copies, yeah. so I guess it's successful. I'm making money, bitch. Yeah. Don't care. Bye. Yeah. Say whatever the fuck also, you want. Like, no wonder I love Poe. God, I love a Capricorn. You man. do love a Capricorn. I yeah. love a Capricorn, mm-hmm. man. Um, so want to yeah. hear the real story behind this? 
lot. <laughs> Me, yeah. All right. It's short, so oh, don't worry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, Poe was living in Baltimore when um, there was a story published about grave robbers defiling graves and stealing these human teeth. Um, Imagine being that desperate for wanting whatever the fuck. Yeah. Jewels, whatever, like taking up a body. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look. So they were digging them up fairly fresh and taking their teeth out to make dentures to resell to people. So like, like wicked cool. Hard um, pass. Hard pass. Yeah. The, you don't like Baltimore in like the 1800s is like no, no brainer. Also like a fun tidbit. If people did not know this, that's why they're called the Baltimore Ravens, the football team. Oh, shit. Yeah, because Poe, he wasn't from there technically, but he lived there most of his life. That's where he wrote The Raven and like, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's well, that. Well, fuck. I didn't actually know that. That's yeah. cool. Too bad they suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> they don't. I have, if you no like The Ravens, beef. please keep listening. Uh, yeah, I have zero beef with The Ravens. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know. Um, you yeah. have to. If you hated that comment, please tell us <laughs> at Spill the Beat on Everything. Uh, Gotta get that conversation going. Um... So, anyways, um, all of these stories were coming out about these grave robbers getting caught stealing these teeth to make dentures. Um, two years later, Berenice gets published. So, when Poe was asked about it and, like, if there was a connection to those stories and this, and he's like, oh, yeah. Um, the only He said the only reason he even wrote this story was someone bet him. They're like read this in the paper. They're like, bet you can't write a story about something that fucking specific, like fucking stealing teeth out of a grave. He's like, oh, but so he did. And that's where Berenice was born. And that's why we now have this little masterpiece. Fucking love that. And that was his first horror story. Like, came out of a spite bet, pretty much. I love that. And it's a good horror story. It's like, good. Again, he writes the craziest shit. I love him so yeah. much. Ah. All right. Moving right along to okay. our next story. Okay. This one is called The Oblong Box. He's got, like, I don't know how you like, go from, like, a telltale heart and, like, the fall of the House of Usher to, like, The Oblong Box. The Oblong Box. Premature burial. <laughs> I, like, I like Berenice because, like, you do that barely even had anything to do with her. Oh, you know? yeah. Like, oh, yeah. But anyway, so this story is about an oblong box. Oh, okay. Um, an unnamed narrator is recounting a summer sea voyage aboard the ship called the Independence. Um, the narrator learns that his old college friend, Cornelius Wyatt, is aboard with his wife and two sisters. So the narrator's like, fucking cool. Haven't seen old Cornelius in a long time. Um, the narrator does report that there were three rooms booked for his party. Um, for his friend um, Wyatt's party and he's like oh that's kind of weird if he's just like traveling with his wife or whatever like it's got to be for like servants or whatever they're yeah. like a well-to-do family yeah um, his friend's also pretty artsy like a big art guy um, again I it wasn't clear from the summer I almost want to say he was an artist if not he's an art collector okay he's an artsy guy very into art either <laughs> yes. way and so um, when the narrator saw that there was a word servant on the passenger list next to um, the Wyatt family name that had been crossed out. He was like, okay, it, the third room still could be for art, though. Like, he very well mm -hmm. would have this, you know, this painting. For whatever reason, he was thinking that his friend uh, Wyatt had acquired this, like, super valuable, not the original copy, but a really valuable copy of, like, Da Vinci's Last Supper 
which is like a big, Whoa. which is the Last Supper is a little bit of an inside joke between Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, insert <laughs> giggle here. Um, so anyways, he's like, yeah, okay, no, like you might have a, have a separate room for that, you know? <laughs> and, That's a big deal painting. Everyone knows that painting. Yeah. And like, you know, he, his friend is bringing aboard this huge oblong pine box. It was about six feet in length, two and a half across. He's like, yeah, that could definitely be yeah. it. Like, that's probably the painting. Um, and the narrator also has, like, never met his wife before. Like, he only knows Cornelius. He's, like, excited to meet his family and everything. And he's heard that his wife is just, like just this woman of surpassing beauty wit accomplishment just this fucking treasure of a, of a woman yeah so um the narrator notices that the box is actually going into the stateroom with wyatt and his wife and then um the second room is shared by the two sisters that they're traveling with leaving this other third room Okay. Um, Yeah, very odd. So, for several nights on this voyage, the narrator sees his friend's surprisingly unattractive wife, who is not friendly and doesn't really even seem to talk to anybody. Uh, She leaves the stateroom every night around 11 o'clock and goes into this third room, and then she returns first thing in the morning. So to give this appearance, you know, that they that they had stayed together. So so the narrator is staying conveniently in the room right next to his friend. And so he he believes that he hears what sounds like his friend opening the box in the middle of the night and then sobs. But he can't tell that it sobs because he there's noise in the ship and he kind of thinks that maybe he's his mind's playing tricks on him. He can't tell. But he can definitely hear him opening the box. And he's like, well, you know, he attributes it to his friend's, quote, artistic enthusiasm. Like, that's sure. it. He's just got to oh, see this yeah. painting, you know, yeah. and he's going to sob over it. I don't know. Artsy people. Who knows? Yeah. So. No. <laughs> yeah. That's not it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a post story. So the ship gets caught in this horrible, ter- like, hurricane. Okay. And the ship is just, like, falling to pieces all around all of them. And so everyone is escaping the damaged ship to th- by all these lifeboats and um, the narrator and Wyatt and all of them happen to be the last ones on the boat. Oh my God. They finally get on the lifeboat. Wyatt does not want to part with this box. They're not letting the box come on the lifeboat. He's so pissed and they're in the lifeboat and they're rowing away and Wyatt is begging the captain who's also on this last boat. He's like, you have to turn back and get the box. You have to get the box. Like I can't leave without the box. And the captain's like, listen, dude, we're not going back. Like the ship's going down. It's over. It's fucking hurricane. We're lucky to be on this lifeboat Wyatt jumps out of the boat and goes back to the sinking ship and he drags this box up to the top of it he ties himself to it and he goes down with the ship in this box and no one ever sees him again and so yeah and so the narrator is like scarred by this he just like watched his friend do this fucking weird thing and he's like he just like tied himself to the last supper and went down with this ship yeah so about a month after the incident the narrator happens to run into the captain of the ship and they're like wow remember that that was fucking crazy (laughs) wild yeah whoa yeah and then (laughs) the captain's like yeah like remember that box and he's like yeah what was up with that box like he'd like totally tied himself to that box weird (laughs) died for it yeah and the captain's like yeah no i i know why i want to know why and he's like yeah sure like hit me and the captain explains that the box had in fact held the corpse of wyatt's recently deceased wife who only died a couple 
days before the ship was due to sail. So he wanted to bring her body back to her mother, but he asked the captain about it. And the captain's like, we can't just like bring a corpse on the boat. No one's going to want to like get on the boat with a dead person. Like, come on, use your head. That's fucking creepy. Like, okay. this isn't a mummy unwrapping party. There's a time and place and this boat is not it. Okay. To at a dead body. <laughs> yeah. Like the passengers, the passengers, <laughs> the, passengers. <laughs> the passengers are going to panic. <laughs> Somebody please give them a hot corn tortilla, please. Um, but you know what? the passengers panic so sure. captain hardy's like can make you do that yeah captain hardy's like oh you know what like totally just like put her in a box and throw <laughs> some salt in that box what? and then we're just gonna register that box as baggage and then we'll pass off you know the maid is her wife because there's already suspicion and all this stuff is listed here and so uh, the ends mm-hmm yep so <laughs> it was just Whoa. sitting there mouth agape yeah so again this these stories are very good and very in-depth i am just brushing over no, it no i like every time the twist gets me even though i hope it's I, just like a summary and of these it. are I'm like like holy fuck and these i feel are, like i've just been taken for a ride and these are like little spoilers but like read these stories they're so good and like this is not ruining anything the way they're written is so good and oh this God, is like I'm such so a to, such a blip like yeah. i'm just skimming over it so the true story where's the truth behind this one so three years before poe published that story okay on september 17th which is one of our really good friends birthdays so i wanted to throw that out there a new york printer named samuel adams not the beer um maybe the beer i don't know (laughs) maybe Maybe that's who this was i don't know um i kind of figured it was the president. Another Samuel Adams. There was probably literally 15 of it them. It sounds like it would be like a common name. On the, <laughs> yeah. on the same block, yeah. Um, anyways, the printer, Sam Adams, went to meet um, a fellow by the last name of Colt. Um, it was related to the gun people, by the way. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. So um, he went to meet uh, Mr. Colt to collect a debt due for some textbooks that Adam had printed for him. Okay. So the men got in this disagreement about the final amount that was owed. Um, sources said that if the discrepancy was over a dollar and thirty-five cents, which in today's currency is about forty-two dollars and seven cents. This is what this whole thing's oh. going over. All right. Okay. So, yeah. Later, when asked, Colt said that Adams began choking him with his own cravat. Like, this whole thing got out of hand. They, like, are just fucking bent out of shape out of this $42. And in self-defense, Colt had no choice. And so he reached for what he thought was a hammer, but it actually turned out to be a hatchet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Whoopsies. So he struck Adams <gasps> four or five times with the weapon. And, you know, thinking it was a hammer, not realizing it was a hatchet. I think you would realize that just immediately. I feel like unless, I guess he could have been hitting him with, like, the blunt side of the hatchet. Because at first I'm okay. like, hey, that hatchet going to get stuck, like, yeah. in your head. I was going to say, there's going to be, like, a whole, not to be gross, but there's going to be a whole, like, like yes, <laughs> right, yeah. Coming back out, and a hatchet's, right? like, not going to have a blood gulch or anything. Like, you're going to have to, like... It, Pull that out. Yeah. I mean, I guess in self-defense, if you're getting choked, you can assume that he's, like, swinging behind him. Okay. You okay. know, or okay. something. Um, either way, he ends up hitting him 
five, four or five times with the hatchet. Jesus so Christ. He, you know, sees that Adams is dead now. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and um, Holt's like, oh, fuck. So he like cleans up the blood. And the next morning he summons this large shipping crate and he packs it with salt. Like a fuck. I don't know where I got all the salt, but he like puts all the salt in there with the body and he addresses this crate to a non-existent address in New Orleans. Hires this car man named his last name is Barstow and he delivers this crate to a ship named the Kalamazoo that was scheduled to leave the next morning like that was me (laughs) dusting my hands off (laughs) what yeah so um after a day or so, Adam's family is, like, looking around for him because, like, They're like, hey, remember that relative we had yeah. that's gone? Where's he at? Yeah. Weird. Um, yeah. Um, so they're, like, publishing notices in all these newspapers, telling people he's missing, doing oh, what they can. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was choking someone. That's not good. Yeah. Allegedly. Alle- allegedly. Yeah. True, so true, true. a neighbor did say that they heard weird noises coming from Colt's office that sounded like a fight followed by a crash on the floor Mm -hmm. and then that same neighbor went and peered in the keyhole and saw someone bending over something on the floor so later um they were able to obtain a key from the landlord and saw that there was a large packing crate missing and that the floor had been scrubbed clean so (gasps) yeah so (laughs) colt being ever so bright goes ahead and like pays a visit to Adam's print shop inquiring about the status of his books that were being printed and oh also oh my god yeah, also like where the fuck Sam like haven't seen him so the book binder working told Colt Asshole. like actually the last time anyone ever saw him he was going to see you Colt interesting what's up you that? want to elaborate on that daddy yeah. and Colt was like oh hmm weird yeah, I don't know bye and like left what the fuck dude so witnesses said you know everyone said Adams was last seen entering Colt's apartment on September 17th and Colt had a crate delivered by a carman the next day and like there was a crate missing here my guy yep so they tracked down Barstow the car driver and he's like yeah I mean I (laughs) delivered it to the Kalamazoo I don't know man like I was just doing my job luckily the Kalamazoo was still in port because there was a storm so the New York police the city's mayor and the car man all get at Barstow all get on this ship and the body in the box had already started emitting an odor but the ship hands just thought it was like some rat poison that they had put down and didn't think anything of it so they opened the crate and revealed a half-clothed male corpse wrapped in a shop awning bound with a rope and packed with salt and they were able to identify it was sam samuel adams by a scar on his leg and one gold ring on his body My God. Poe got word and was like, well, that should be a story. That's a fucking story right there. Yep. It was. It was a good story, too. Wham, bam, thank you, man. There it is. Damn. Yep, yep, yep. Moving right along. This next story is called The Mask of the Red Death. 
mask as in like masquerade. Okay. Yeah. I have read this one before. Have you? Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So the story is the plague known as the Red Death has devastated the countryside. And this Red Death is like just horrific. The symptoms are these blood seeping out of your pores, essentially. It's like all over your face. It's like just oozing from, yeah, you die within half an hour. It's shit. Oh, wow. That's fast. Yeah. So, um, the, there's a name. Prince Prospero and oh. his kingdom uh, is half depopulated because of this whole thing. People are just dropping like flies. So, he goes ahead and summons, like, a thousand or so of his courtiers, and he goes ahead and locks himself up in this fortified abbey. Like, no plague. No yeah. one's coming in. No one's coming out. We're avoiding the plague, everybody. So they're in there for five or six months. They have all the provisions oh, wow. and everything, but like that's a long time. So the prince decides to hold this masked ball of, quote, the most unusual magnificence. And this prince is known for his love of the bazaar, which, like, would be me as yeah. a prince. Yeah. Um, and so he's decorating this ball really strangely. So, he holds this ball in a sequence of seven differently colored rooms, which gives me big Versailles vibes. I love it. Mm -hmm. I was, like, so lucky to get to go to Versailles when we were literally the only people in the Hall of Mirrors. It was magic. That is insane. Yeah, I have this picture of, like, you know how you can look down the whole corridor and, like, all the different colored rooms. Like, Mm -hmm. I have this picture going down. There's no one in it. And it's, like, oh, cool. Oh, my God. It was amazing. amazing. So that's, like, what this reminded me of. Yeah. Um, Except what's different about this is between each room, there's a hallway that has a sharp turn. So you can only see one room. And go into one room at a time. So there's right. seven rooms, but yeah. Um, so in each room, there's candles illuminating everything um, from the hallways. And then there's also like light shining through these huge, narrow, gothic windows in every room. And the stained glass is set uh, to match the color of the decor in every room. He really went all he out. He went all out. Like, wow. I would love to go to this. So... Um, the sequence of rooms is as follows. The first room is blue. Second is purple. Third is green. Fourth, orange. Fifth, white. Sixth, violet. And the seventh is my favorite room. It's decorated in all black. Mm-hmm. But the panes that light it up are red. And the only thing in that room is this giant clock with this really heavy pendulum in it. And this clock strikes every hour with this super weird, eerie noise. And it's so loud, it's heard through every single room throughout the whole party. The musicians stop playing. Everyone, like, pauses all nervously until it's finished. And then, like... The second it's finished, like, the party resumes again. So this clock, like, causes this weird pause. Yeah. And, like, starts again. And people are, like, really afraid to go into this room. They're not loving it. I love it. Um, God, I love it so much. I want my whole house to be that room. <laughs> um, but and the prince also made all of them dress really grotesquely and stuff. Like, oh, God, this yeah. is, like, my fucking party. Um, so when the hour strikes 12... 
the customary shiver of fear through the party and everything pauses and stops and everyone notices this masked figure that no one had noticed before and the figure is wearing a funeral shroud and a mask made quote so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat so like oh it is like a dead person's that face. is it eerie as shit the way he describes stuff like yeah i just fucking love him so much so anyways the guests are just fucking horrified Mm -hmm. and what's worse is like there's blood coming through this mask so everyone's like oh shit this person has it they have the red death fuck 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 yeah and so the prince is like oh no You don't just trespass on my party. Fuck you. And so he's standing in the first of the seven rooms, the prince and this figure. Yeah. And he demands, like, get him. Like, fucking go get him. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody. And everyone's like, no, dude, I'm not touching this thing. Like, it's it's got the death. No. So Prince Prospero is like, well, then fuck you all. And he fucking, like, Leroy Jenkins it, draws his dagger, and just goes running through this thing. And so the figure is running Prospero is behind him and they just process through the rooms. Room one, two, three, four, until they get to the sixth room. And so the figure then turns to face Prospero in the doorway of the seventh room. And on that threshold, the prince falls over and is dead. So everyone's like, oh, fuck shit. What the fuck? He's gone. Like, how did he? He didn't even touch him. Like, how did he kill him? Like, how did he fall over? Oh, shit. And so they're like, okay, well, I guess like we should probably go like get the figure now they killed the prince oh fuck yeah and so a group runs into that last room and they go and they try to take off his mask and the whole cloak just drops and there's nothing underneath it like no person is under this cloak and it Mm -hmm. just falls and at this moment everyone realizes that it wasn't a figure at all but it was the personified red death itself and one by one each of the guests just falls dead and the last line of it because I fucking love Poe so much the last line of it says darkness and decay and the red death held imitable dominion over all so the truth behind this story is like the same it's crazy okay yeah okay so 10 years before poe wrote this story poe actually survived the cholera epidemic of 1832 yeah this epidemic was fucking brutal it started in india spread all throughout europe hit the u.s it was taking people the fuck out and um, the symptoms of this like it wasn't bleeding from the pores but cholera Mm -hmm. you know like severe diarrhea vomiting dehydration and you eventually die um cholera is also the thing that killed me literally every single motherfucking time i got to the mississippi river and the oregon trail computer game so thank you for that (laughs) every fucking time i'd barely make it across and go like bump bump maddie died of cholera i'm like oh fucking fantastic like why do we even why do we even play why do we play the fucking game burn syphilis (laughs) syphilis though i wasn't even getting any (laughs) okay worse than syphilis i was pissing and shitting and puking all over myself much worse than syphilis wants to even it. Yeah, well, that's worse. <laughs> List of things that'll get you. <laughs> Syphilis, cholera. cholera. We had one more thing. What was it? Uh, Rasputin's pickle penis. Was <laughs> <laughs> it that? That is true. That will get you. <laughs> um, so, terrified 
citizens from ever, like the whole world, essentially, were fleeing cities to escape what they considered to be this urban disease of cholera, like get away from people, right? Jesus, yeah. But in Paris, because they extra, in the midst of all of this fear and suffering, a group of 2,000 Parisians decided yeah, to celebrate what seemed to be the end of the world. They're like, okay, everyone's fucking dying of oh, shit and puke, so we need to throw like a giant masquerade ball at the Theater de Varieties. We, we have to. Okay. Yep, so they're, they're there, they're all there, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a ball, literally, and at the stroke of midnight... One of the guests shows up dressed as the personification of cholera with skeletal armor and these bloodshot eyes. And everyone's like, oh, fuck. And then they all dropped dead of cholera and died. They didn't. No, I'm kidding. No okay, one, I yeah. was so confused. <laughs> yeah. My God. Okay. No okay. one died. No one died. Um, okay. Yeah, but, you know, that happened. And it was this really highly publicized story. The story ran in America. It's a great story. It, and you yeah. wrote the... Ask of the Red Death about it. Yeah. Yeah. Another pretty straightforward one. This is like kind of a random side note, but before you, I don't know how I didn't know this, but before you did this episode, before we started, I didn't know that Poe was from America, actually, at all. Oh. He could have been British for all I knew. He lived in Baltimore. Now I know. East Coast. He's He's an East Coast, an East Coast man. I don't know why... The dots did not connect. Like, I know that I learned that at one point, but it just, like, left it my brain a, he, for other random facts. He does give not American vibes for some reason. He I don't does. know why. Maybe it's, like, that big, like, knowledgeable forehead. It could be the forehead. And, like, the nice mustache. I was going to and say, like, I, it could be the mustache And, like, the me. sunken eyes in general or of melancholy he I exudes. I I think of like the stories that he tells and like the settings of them are very European to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why what like throws me off. Um yeah, I read somewhere in all of this that um Tennyson actually, mm. like our our boy, Tenny, lady, lady Lord Tenny. um said at one point that um something not this was not a direct quote unfortunately, but essentially said that Poe was the only American writer worth a shit. Like Tennyson oh. said that, yeah. So I would like to remind him because I'm gonna do this to you every episode now tonight. That Stephanie Meyer wrote. I'm just kidding. Those books are terrible. But I love those so much. Stephanie Myers is the only American author Listen, worth a shit. No one's dying of syphilis in any of these episodes that we are recording all in this like one go of it. So I'm gonna go ahead and make a drinking game out of bringing up Twilight. Right. That can so, be. You do that to Twilight. I'll do that to Anne Boleyn, oh, and we yeah, can all there we just go. do that. Yeah. That's. Oh, I man. I wasn't able to tie. I didn't sneak it in in the Mary Shelley episode. We'll find something. I could do it right now. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, do you have one yeah, like, off the top of your head? It's not great, but it's it's worth it. Um, throw it at me. Yeah, it's something. Um, I, I could do better, but this is what I got off the top of my head. Um, okay. A lot of people um, think that Anne Boleyn had like this raven black hair because everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know, like this raven black, blah, blah, blah. But... It's actually thought that she didn't have black hair at all, even though that's how she's portrayed. Uh, if you look at her, like, 
contemporary likeness portraits, things like that. She actually had an auburn color hair, but back in the Tudor times, everything was like so cut and dry, light and dark. It was, if you had a darker hair tone, it was black. It was black, yeah. Yeah. And so everyone said like the raven-haired Anne and stuff. And so she kind of gets roped into that, but she probably didn't even have black hair at all. Whoa. Okay, see, we tied it in. There it is. It's been tied. Go us. Yep. Everyone (laughs) take two shots. We did it. Yes, we... I'm sorry that we couldn't tie in syphilis as well. No, we did tie in syphilis. Cholera, syphilis. Yeah. It's a thing. We mentioned it. Yep. And again, we're going to do a whole deep dive on Poe, and I can't promise that there is not syphilis in his story somewhere. You know. I was going to say I hope there is, but I, I, oh, I do yeah. not we hope don't that. that. We don't, no, want, that we don't want that for anybody. I don't know that his end was much better than, than syphilis, but okay. uh, God rest him. Oh, God. Okay. Moving right along. These last two are fucking doozies. I saved the best two for last. Okay, okay. Okay, so second to last one. This one is called The Mystery of Marie Roger. Okay. So... That here's the story that Poe wrote. But first, did you know that Poe is often said to be the one to invent the detective story? Like, Poe is known as the father of true crime. What? Like, he was the first person to write, like, a detective mystery novel. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. It wasn't the mystery of Marie Roger. Um, It was... Um, the murders of the Rue Morgue, but okay. the mystery of Marie Roger was like a sequel to that. Like he used the oh. same detective and stuff. Oh, cool. Okay, so, yeah, okay. There's a fun if you like yeah. true crime novels and stuff. Thank Poe. Yeah, he, he was your guy. Right yeah, cool, cool. cool. Um, so yes, yeah, so um, Poe's detective character that was in uh, the murders of the Rue Morgue uh, was Auguste Dupont. Okay. That was the detective's name. Um, and his assistant is the unnamed narrator. Oh, look at that. Hey, so it's they just got to be one. Yep. So they decide to take on this unsolved murder of Marie Roger in Paris. So the story, um, like I said, was a sequel. And the body of Marie Roger, who was this perfume shop employee who was known for her beauty and everyone knew her her body washes up in the Seine river and the press takes a keen interest in the mystery because she's like this beautiful woman and she's dead and like she's in the river what the fuck happened so dupin remarks that the newspapers create this sensation rather than further the cause of the truth you know like the newspapers aren't helping yeah Yeah, they're just like they usually don't (laughs) no you're just making more rumors and more speculation not doing anything to like uncover the truth yeah, nothing's changed. Right. So um, the narrator and Dupont use the newspaper reports to get into the mind of this murderer, right? Like they're using everything to kind of put this together. And um, Dupont is rejecting the popular theory. Everyone's blaming her murder on this gang of ruffians that were seen around the area at the time. And uh, Detective Dupont's like, no, because... If that were the case and it were a gang, they would have confessed because they would all be afraid that they're going to turn on each other. Like, not afraid of, like, further okay. conscience, yeah, but they're yeah, like, yeah. fuck, well, if I say it first, I'll get a deal. You know, like right. that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, okay. Fair and enough. so using those facts in the case and all of, like, the concrete evidence they had, Dupont determines that it was a single murderer involved and that the person was probably a sailor. And that's based, again... He's not, the story lays out why he thinks these things. I'm just not getting into that, yeah, brushing yeah, yeah. over it. Um, so he says the person's probably a sailor, probably dragged the victim by the cloth on her belt at her waist at first, but then switched to a cloth around her neck before ultimately dumping her body off of a boat into the Sin River. Okay. Um, so thus, if they find the boat, 
the police will be able to find the murderer. That's how they're going to be able to solve this. And at the end of the story, there's a little editor's note that says that it would be inappropriate to tell all of the details that actually followed in this, but the police did apprehend the true murderer with the help of DuPont's detections. So that's Poe's story that he wrote. Okay. Okay. The truth, again, is the same except for the name and the place. Oh. Yeah. So, um, also, Poe would later say in his life, this this story is a perfect example of it. He would later say in his life, this is one of my like favorite quotes of his, that the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetic topic in the world. So when he saw the story of Mary Rogers' body. Okay. Marie Roger, Mary Rogers, Uh that washed up in the Hudson River in New Uh York. Her case was thrown into the public spotlight because she was known as the beautiful cigar girl. And everyone loved her. She was essentially like, before the Kardashians, she was like famous for the sake of being famous. She did nothing. She's just herself. And everyone just loved her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Poe knew her himself he went to that cigar shop wow yeah um oh that's wild yeah so there was so much speculation and gossip surrounding this but at the time there wasn't really an nypd like there was but not like detectives okay you know yeah so there wasn't really everyone's like who's gonna like here's her body but we don't know who did it there's no like who's gonna look into it we don't know who's gonna look into it so poe Decided to weigh in on it the only way he knew how. To write a goddamn short story about it. Yeah. So, he does. The uh, people who were looking into her murder suggested gang violence. Much like the story. Right. Um, so, what, what ended up happening was... Poe would kind of keep updating the story of Marie Roger every time something new would come out in the press. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so, you know, when Mary's fiance committed suicide several months later, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, he's guilty. You know, like he did it because he's guilty kind of thing. So Poe kind of puts that in his story and says, like, no, it was just like maybe it was the despair. Like he kind of like keeps twisting it. Um. The fiancé killed himself. Everyone thought it was him. It, it very likely was not. And he just couldn't take it anymore. Oh. And he, he ended up, yeah, ending it. Um, after him, there was no shortage of suspects. Um, but the police ultimately weren't able to identify the, the murderer. So the newspapers are just pouring out all this stuff. The public's pissed and fascinated and all of all of this thing but it nothing's helping so here comes poe and everyone's like i guess we're not we're never going to figure it out i guess like we're never going to know so william snowden was the owner of the ladies companion which was um a a journal like a newspaper journal thing at the time and it was the single largest supporter of the commission for safety so um they were raising funds for information that were going to like find her killer like they were doing everything they could yeah Yeah. snowden was trying his best so poe answers snowden's call like hey any bit of information you have could help us and so he submits to him the mystery of marie roger so poe promised not only to quote 
indicate the assassin in a manner that will give renewed impetus to the investigation, end quote. But he also demonstrated a method of investigation that would be used by real police departments in future investigations. What? Yeah, so people, Poe really doesn't get any credit for this, but it's what? wild. Yeah. Um, that method was literally just, it seems so simple to us now, but they weren't doing it then. What Poe was doing the whole time was, like, the practice of mentally walking through a crime scene yeah. to, like, discover, like, overlooked details and, like, different possibilities and stuff. They just, like, weren't doing that. Yeah. And so, like, they read the story and they're like, oh, we we should do that probably. Oh, my God. Yeah. Poe. So, yeah. You legend. <laughs> I know. So, the press coverage of the case started revealing all these new clues. Like I said, he was like adapting the story every time. Oh my gosh. Um, and so a couple of years later, he included like the finished work in a collection of his tales. And he changed the story again to stay in keeping with the latest theories and all of that. And in fact, like, because obviously Marie Roger, M- Mary Rogers, like yeah. everyone oh, yeah. knows what's going on. And Poe didn't hide this. Like in the yeah. very beginning of the book, he says, he says, quote, under the pretense of showing how Dupont unraveled the mystery of Marie's assassination, I, in fact, enter into a very rigorous analysis of the real tragedy in New York, end quote. Okay, yeah. So he's like, read it. It's yeah. going to be entertaining. But like, this is my real shit that I've been working on yeah. for this. Like, th- wow, this okay. is real. Yeah. So officially, the death of Mary Rogers remains unsolved today. Oh, wow. But um, Poe's account is remains the most widely read and accepted version of everything. He also ends up hinting at a botched abortion that she may have had that did kind of hold some ground for a while, but the medical facts didn't really add up. Okay. He ended up kind of amending that because she had a cord around her neck. Oh, Why? Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we'll never really know. But there's still a lot of weird again that could be a whole episode in and of itself because there's a lot of loose ends there and Poe kept saying weird things about it like way later in a letter to a friend about this whole thing he wrote quote nothing was admitted in Marie Roger but what I admitted myself and all of that is mystification end quote Poe (laughs) Poe my boy what the fuck yeah I could see I couldn't even be friends with him. I'd be like, you are one mysterious motherfucker. Like, you confuse and confound me every step of the way. It's just, like, the fact that, like, this man's is sitting here doing all this and then hits us with, but we loved with a love that was more than love. I am my Annabelle Lee. Yeah. A love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. I did a whole fucking poem. It was beautiful. (laughs) And then you're sitting here writing this and is giving me nightmares and I love it. Like, God, I love it. He's got definitely sides to him. Different and, sides. And I saved the last story for last because this is the most spilled meat-ish. Ooh, like, okay. I, this one is dramatic. Ooh, 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 ooh. The gossip, the tea. The whole okay. thing is tea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. this one, the story is called The Cast of Amontillado. Okay. It's Italian. Ooh. Um, yep, it takes place in an unspecified year in Italy and the narrator has a name <gasps> An actual name. Wait. Yep. Are you sure? Uh-huh. The man's uh, name is Montressor. That's his last name. That's what we're calling him. So cool, cool, cool. Montressor. And he opens up by saying that he has been so wronged by his one-time close friend, Fort- Fortunato. Uh-oh. Like, 
he has what been, he do? he's been so wronged. I don't, we don't know. Tell me I'm on your side. Yeah. The two men have not seen each other in a long time. And Montressor claims that Fortunato has wounded him so deeply yes. with this insult. And he never says what the insult is. Never? He just, no, he can't even speak it so bad. Wow. He's That's just real bad. fucking wounded. And the opening lines of this story is pretty much Montressor saying, like, I'm getting revenge on this motherfucker. He wronged me and I'm pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Get him. Yep. So Montressor meets Fortunato, who is a who is a guy who likes his drinky drink. He likes to likes to feel it, likes to party. Okay. Um, so Montressor finds him at a carnival where he's drinking. And he goes up to Fortunato and he says, Hey, I have this cask of Amontillado wine. Amont- Amontillado. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, he's like, hey, I have this cast of Amontillado. Amontillado. <laughs> really good wine. Yeah. Um, Amontillado is like a variety of sherry. I don't know. I don't. Oh. I don't. Do you drink sherry like out of a glass? I thought you just like put it in your you know, cooking food and let it cook out. And, and I, I, I don't know. a damn clue. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways. No idea. It's apparently some good shit. Oh, and okay. Fortunato is like, fuck yeah. Like he's so eager to like verify he's the wine's yeah. authenticity. And oh. he's like, fuck yeah. If you've got that, I want it. And Montressor is like, yeah, come back to my palazzo. Come oh. back to it. Yeah. And Fortunato's drunk. He's like, yeah, man, let's go. Which like same. I would like, I mean, they used to be friends or whatever, but like, I am like the friendliest drunk ever. And if my mortal enemy walked up to me, it was like, come on, Maddie, let's go drink more. I'd be like, yeah, okay, let's okay, go to your palazzo. Yeah, let's go to your palazzo. That seems like totally fine. Yeah. We should like go on vacation together. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> all grudges leave yeah. when a drink is in the body. 100%. That's, yep. where, that's where our boy Fortunato's at. Okay, yeah. So, um, he. They get to his palazzo. And Montressor takes Fortunato down into his family catacombs, as one does, because, you know, that's where the wine is. Oh, I mean, yeah. okay. Just sure. like down, down sure, in Sure, sure, where all the skulls are, yeah. where the wine and skulls down are kept. My two favorite twisting things. twisting maze of death that's yeah. under our house. Yeah, I hate yeah. them. I love it. Um, when he gets him down into the catacombs, Montressor tells Fortunato that he's been insulted. He's been so wronged. And Fortunato is like, God, that's fucked up, dude. Like, I'm going to help you get revenge. And Montressor is like, yeah, you are. Like, you don't even know how much you're going to help me get revenge. None of this is direct quotes. Again, this is all like, yeah, yeah. read the story yourself. <laughs> um, it's really good. But um, the men finally come to this little, this little niche, little, what's it called? Like a little, not a nook, like a, a cranny. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. We're going to go with Cranny. They come to this Cranny in, in, the, um, in the catacombs, like in the end, you know, yeah. an end to it. And Montressor is like, hey, Fortunato, that uh, Amontillado, it's in there. Like, go get it. And Fortunato's like, yeah, man, fuck. Of course. Like, we're so going to get revenge on that guy that wronged you. Also, it should be noted that Montressor is just still pumping him with alcohol this whole time. Like, all through the catacombs. Like, keeping him nice and drunk. And so, Fortunato goes in there looking for this 
bomb scissor and mm-hmm. Montressor chains him to the wall and proceeds to seal up the opening with oh. bricks and mortar. Oh! Yeah. Whoa, this... Wow. It, yeah. Okay. It, oh, yeah. And so Fortunato is so drunk, he doesn't, like, totally realize what's going on at first. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah, man, like, t- what you doing? Like, bricks are so cool. Oh, my gosh, this is so funny. And what are you doing? <laughs> when, like, the last of the bricks are being laid, he's like, whoa, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. So like, right now, bro. Yeah, this isn't fun. <laughs> anymore and so he starts screaming and begging for mercy and Montressor just ignores him and so uh, Montressor goes on to say that he heard the bells from Fortunato's little hat from behind the wall as he like walked away and left him in there. He had like a little little jingle hat on, you know. <laughs> okay, which is cute, but like, like a carnival. Yeah, like, <laughs> gotta wear haunting. Yeah, you can hear his little bell. You gotta wear the jingle hat to the carnival. Oh my god, um, the story pretty much. Well, not pretty much. The story does conclude with Montressor revealing that this story happened 50 years ago. And no one has any clue that this whole thing took place except for him and the dead guy in the wall. The end. Holy fuck. Yeah. Wow. What the fuck? The truth? Yeah. What the fuck? It's tea, baby. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Tell me. Okay. Tell me. It's... uh, Okay. I hope this doesn't disappoint you. Um, Okay. So... Because it's just, it's it's just so fucking petty. You it's could great. spill just a drop of tea or mead. Yeah. And I would be happy. I'm so. going to like fucking just close fisted punch the whole bottle over because yeah. the tea is oh, piping. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So while Poe was a private stationed at Fort Independence, he was in the military. Oh, okay. Way. Yeah. West Point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, West Point. West Point. Um, he may have heard a rumor that there was a soldier that was entombed alive behind one of the fort's walls. Like that was like a rumor that went around there. Um, yeah, I hate that so much, though. Yeah. Like, I, I, I hate that. I mean, a lot of his works did kind of have similar fates in them. I hate all that, though. Like, the, <laughs> that is a big fear. Like, buried alive. I didn't learn that until this podcast, by the way. Yep. Like, buried alive. It, like, walled up somewhere. Okay, new fear. Unlocked. Yeah. Good to know. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, no. It, Yeah. Um, that's what people were saying. Like, oh, well, he could have gotten the idea, like, the fort and the wall walled up. Sure. Who knows? Because he has a lot of buried alive stuff. And, like, yeah. there's other stories that people get walled up. It was a common up. fear at this point. Right. Sure, yeah. But what we do know for sure is the inspiration behind the arrogant Fortunato in it is Poe's, like, mortal enemy. Oh, shit! Thomas Dunn English. Have you heard of him? I haven't. No, me either. No one has. <laughs> but he was a writer at the time, and him and Poe fucking went at it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and they used to be friends. <gasps> so, yeah. Ooh. So, Edgar Allan Poe once wrote about Thomas Dunn English that he, this was obviously after they weren't friends anymore, he, he wrote just plain as day, used his name, everything, wrote, quote, he is a man without the commonest school education, busying himself in the attempts to instruct mankind in topics of literature, unquote. Like, they said all kinds of mean shit about each other. Yeah, so, and again, he's saying all this mean shit after they had been friends, or at least... 
<clears throat> excuse me, or at least on friendly terms, but some real big Poe lovers disagree, like say that they were oh. never friends. I don't know. I okay. love Poe for, I don't love him in the way that I like analyze his life like that. Like that's saved for Anne. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I just love his writing. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know. Yeah. People are kind of maybe, split if maybe they were yes, friends or no. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what is for sure is they motherfucking hated each other love at it. some point. So, um, the, if you do believe that they were friends, then you're gonna think that they had a falling out with each other and this is what it's over. Like, Mm -hmm. so Poe was allegedly asked by a woman to return letters that she had written to him that she believed contained, you know, some licentious things that she didn't want anyone else to know. Yeah. So Poe said that he returned the letters. That's what, that's what he said he did. So the T and why they have this huge falling out, if you ever thought they were friends in the first place, is that after this whole thing took place, Poe went up and asked English if he could borrow a pistol to defend himself against this woman's brother. And English was kind of like, if you gave her the letters back, like, why do you need a pistol? Yeah. Like, what are you worried about then? Yeah. And... Um, he's like, if, like, that looks shady, dude, like, you should probably make, like, a public statement about this whole controversy and, like, clear it up. And Poe got pissed as shit. I don't know why. I don't know if he gave the letters back. I don't know if he didn't. But, like, this whole, like, make a statement about it, he was like, go fuck yourself. And he's like, maybe I will, but you go fuck yourself. They just end up, like, hitting each other. Like, just fucking going at it. Yeah, I don't know. And so um, the two men, like, get into this physical altercation. And Poe later claimed that he administered English, quote, a flogging which he will remember to the day of his death. Oh, man. End quote, yeah. Meanwhile, English is over there telling people that he, quote, dealt Poe some (laughs) smart raps on the face that left him bloody, end quote. Men. (laughs) I literally put, who knows, men. Yeah, (laughs) that's literally what I put. Yes. Who knows? Dot, dot, dot. Men. Men. (laughs) But, like, some critics say that Poe's, um, this story, the cast of uh, Amontillado, I I would have to look, I'm sorry. It's very, it's, like, past midnight, and I don't remember the name of the wife. But um, some say that that story was in response to English's novel, 1844, and or The Power of S.F., which were two stories that English wrote where Poe is very, it is Poe. It is undoubtedly Poe portrayed as this drunken author of a poem called <laughs> the black crow. <laughs> like, okay. Like you're so that fucking very clever. Veiled. Yeah. Okay. But I do have to say, I want to be very team Poe because I love you. So I love him. I love all the things you love. I love Anne because you love Anne. I know. But bro seems like he really overreacted in this argument here. I know. I would love to look more into the argument. Yeah. Because it's like, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know his full Zodiac chart, but like he's a Capricorn. Like they don't pop off, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, like it takes a lot. I mean, they'll punch you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But like, there's a fire something. There is no fucking way Poe did not have a water placement. He was so mopey. Like, sweet God. (gasps) I love him so much, Mm -hmm, but like, mm -hmm. no one mopes like a water sign. (laughs) Like, let me tell you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So he had something going on. I wonder what his full chart is. Someone has to have that. Yeah. We'll look into that. Hey, if you have the full chart, 
at spillingbeat on everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this whole feud was like huge. The New York Mirror ended up at one point publishing a letter that English had written about Poe that was like awful and dragging him. Poe ended up suing him for libel and oh won this like $200 judgment. They were just like at each other forever. They were so high strung towards each other. They had all these literary confrontations, like either like backhanded, like in this story or like outright, like oh, just, oh my God. Yeah. And the feud didn't end when Poe died. What? Yeah. English outlived Poe by 50 years <gasps> and literally shit talked him until he fucking died like they hated each that other that is true bitterness yeah right there. saying like he kicked his ass or whatever you know and like the funny thing like about that physical altercation is yeah. like it whoever won that fight poe won the war because the cast yeah. of amontillado has become a classic american short horror story and literally no one knows who john no. english is so no womp womp oh that sucks yeah and that's what I got for you that, today. I have a lot of feelings, especially about the last one. Yeah. <laughs> about that, like, I I love that they have a rivalry. I love a good rivalry. Yeah. Like, Would I ever God. want a rivalry? Like, no. No. No, oh my gosh, that sounds so stressful to, like, hate someone. I don't know. I, I casually dislike some people, but yeah. there's not really many people out there that I hate because no. it just takes so much energy to it hate does. somebody. And even it's like, exhausting. You and I are fantastic, though, at like trimming the toxic fat. Like, if you, if I don't like you and you're, like, toxic to my life, I will just cut you out of it. Oh, yeah. And, like, even oh, yeah. if I'm forced to interact with you sometimes, like, I don't always have to. And yep. if you don't add anything happy or beneficial to my life, right. then bye, you know? Yeah, and now and I'm so, at the point where, like, everyone in my life is wonderful. Yeah. So, it really works. A true passionate hatred like that yeah. sounds tiring. However... We are not highly publicized authors who constantly have the person that you hate slapping you in the face with like publications. That would be like if we had rivals that like started the same podcast as us and we're constantly like black and like you can't avoid it, you know? Okay, yeah, no, I I said that shit. Yeah. I'm pretty competitive, so I'd probably be pretty shitty about it. Yeah. Maybe even after their death. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Thinking about it. because then I'd be like, I see. I think I won. I'd be like, well, I'm still going. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm so focused on like just being genuinely happy myself that yeah. like I don't care. Like, as long as I'm happy and cool, like you that's can the die. Thing. In it's, a ditch. I don't know. I like, always think like the best revenge is living a happy life, right? Like that's yep, my the thing. Best revenge is living and, well, and I'm living my happiest life, but. That's why, that's where I have to stop and think, did Poe win? He is the more renowned author. Oh, yeah, he is. For sure. Yeah. Like, hands down. But You would have to look into Poe's life and how tragic and horrible yeah. it was and then compare it to John English's life. I don't know English's life went, yeah. but I, I do vaguely know that Poe's was terrible. Yeah. So I would have sad, to yeah. think, like, maybe, really... Poe kind of lost. Uh, Poe's always when a it comes to, to history, he won. Yeah, yeah, he's he's. But when always, it comes to actually to like his life, like <laughs> the way he felt, I yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. We're going to look more into English. We're going to look more into Poe. We're going to do a whole fucking episode. I know. It's hard for me because, again, I just love Poe so much. And if I'm like, I'm loyal to a fault. So if I decide I like you, I will just, oh, man. Go down fighting for you. I'm I'm over here. I'm like, Poe fucking kicked his ass, man. Like, it was definitely (laughs) Poe who kicked his ass. Yeah. And you know what? He shouldn't have fucking told him to come clean about everything. John English. You should have shut your fucking mouth john yeah he looked worse he yeah. post swung first for sure yeah john had blood running out of his nose he had two black eyes what a bitch yeah <laughs> he was wailing for his mama what a bitch <laughs> everyone read Poe's short stories they're amazing. they're amazing and go read the raven and annabelle lee Oh my gosh, yes. Read all of them. And dresses him for like Halloween, please. <gasps> Ooh! Like, God, please. Ooh, catch me doing that this year. Why? Like, we I have need... no plans. I heard that like in Baltimore, they have like Poe reenactors and stuff like walking <gasps> the streets. Like, is that true if you're in Baltimore? Tell me because oh I gosh. want to come. Yeah. And they probably have like some kick ass run fairs <sighs> on that side. Do. Of, of the country so they do yeah <laughs> they definitely have amazing ones so we just have to get to the other side of the country yeah, at some God. point anyways uh, and once we're there we'll just hit up everywhere yep <laughs> yep all right um, we love you yeah i love poe uh, bye bye I know. I'm like, I'm that kind of person. I have to take breaks after watching an episode of Black Mirror. My husband can just like binge that show. Oh, me too. Oh, no. I need like a week to recover mentally from it. And that's what this feels like right now. I feel like I'm just like binging episodes of Black Mirror. Like I I just got to like. Yeah, I was going to say, let me know if you need a break because I have like a few more. I actually have to pee. Okay.